And good day, everyone. Welcome here to the uh, Gospel Boldly Podcast. Uh, today, it is a single shot of the Gospel Boldly Podcast. Uh, it's just me, Pastor Eric Brown. Uh, Tom Slumpke is not here with me on this one, although he is here in spirit, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, there are just times when Thomas and I can't hook up with whatever is going on in the week with our various schedules. And while we will often double record episodes, sometimes we like to have some solo episodes just in the uh, the can, just in case uh, a week or a month gets really crazy. And today was one of those days. So I asked Thomas, all right, at least give me a topic to talk about for a, a solo episode of the Gospel Boldly podcast. And he gave me five options, but I'm just going to go with the first one. And the first one is, he said, talk about the theology of the cross. Now, that's a major topic. If you've listened to anything higher things before, if you've been to any higher thing gathering, if you've read anything from higher things, I'm sure it's a phrase you've come across. And there are are many different ways to, to come at this language or this idea of the theology of the cross. One of the, there are great books on it that deal with it. It really is the heart of the Lutheran ethos and approach to scriptures and to theology. But what is it? Well, at its base, you could say the theology of the cross is the idea that, that the central event of the scriptures is the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Okay, if I had cool sound effects, I'd do like crickets chirping. What does that mean? What what gets in with that? Well, you could have different nuances brought out by different people in so many different ways. But I think if I want to discuss what the theology of the cross is, I think the best place to deal with that, the best angle to take, would be to consider what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians. Really, Paul is the theologian who spurs on the uh, the whole terminology of the theolo- theology of the cross. Uh, in Galatians, Paul says that he is determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified, that, that the crucifixion is the central point of theology. Everything has to boil down to we are sinners from whom Christ for whom Christ has died and risen. And because he has died and risen, we have life and forgiveness and salvation in his name. But really, when we talk about a theology of the cross, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, really gets to the the point, condenses down what really is going on. Uh, 118 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. St. Paul there is really setting up 
the, the approach, the proper way of looking at the entirety of the Christian faith. And the two themes I don't want to talk about here come out in that last verse. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. When we as Christians say that we are to be theologians of the cross, that we follow a theology of the cross, we're really saying that our theology focuses and deals with what the world would consider to be foolish, and weak. First, let's talk about foolishness. Uh, This cup coming Sunday, and I have no idea when it will be when this uh, podcast will be recorded, the the gospel text that we're dealing with is Luke 16, uh, the the story of the uh, unrighteous servant, where Jesus notes out that the, uh, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light are. The world has a very hard set of what it thinks is wise, what makes sense. The world loves to teach, look out for number one. Even when when you see advocacy for, for helping out and doing good in the world, it often is given in the lines of, because it'll make you feel better. Or or help each other out because then we're all we're all stronger together. It ultimately is self-serving. The wisdom of the world ultimately boils down to you have to look out for yourself. You need to use the mind that you have and figure out how to work the angles, play the angles, do what is best, save yourself, look out for number one, do what needs to be done to get things done your way. Because really, when it comes down to it, it's survival of the fittest, and only the strong survive. We, we think the whole idea of, of, of survival of the fittest really started with uh, Darwin in the, the 19th century. No, no. For, for much longer than that, the history of the world has been might makes right. It's been history is written by the victors. The world teaches us, the, the approach of the world is that you do what you need to do to accomplish your goals that better yourself. And there might be divisions of opinion on on what's the best way to better yourself, what's the best way to to make your life be a good life, but the action is always meant to be self-serving. Over and against that, the theology of the cross, the wisdom of God says, no, the, the point really is to love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. That's how, how the law is summed up by, by Christ. And in terms of our own life, in terms of why we act, we are trained by God and his word that we should be selfless instead of selfish. That instead of looking at and out and seeing what benefit do I get, How can I aid my neighbor? Simply put, what is best not for me, but for my neighbor? I'm a parent. All right, what's best for my kids, not what is best for me? I'm a friend. How how does my friend need help, even if it means hardship for me? I I got to get up and drive to O'Hare Airport at, at 
five o'clock in the morning and drive through morning rush hour in Chicago. Why? A friend needed a ride. That That's good. I, I, I probably could have rather slept in, but hey, it, it's all good. Help out your neighbor. Show love. Don't do what is best for yourself, but rather act for your neighbor. And of course, being good Christians, we, we understand, being good Christians, we understand that we aren't good, that, that we are constantly fighting our own selfish desires. The, the, the world, when it promotes selfishness, selfishness, being selfish, is not suddenly creating something new or antithetical to who we are as sinful human beings. By, sinful, by, by our nature, we are curved in on ourselves. We are sinful. We, we, we crave what is best for ourselves. By nature, we worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. God's instructions, God's law, are foolish to the world because they tell us that selfishness is death, that, that we were created by God to, to be in community, to be in fellowship with our neighbors, to live and to serve. Adam is there to serve Eve. Eve is there to serve Adam. That's the way it's meant to be. And ever since the fall, it's rather than serving one another, we've been at each other's throats, trying to take advantage of each other. In fact, this is the idea that we have as capitalists in America. The idea behind capitalism is that when people act for their own interest, they can do mutually beneficial arrangements. Oh, I, you have A that I would like, I have B that you would like. Let's trade and we'll be in both of our best interests. That's still ultimately a selfish approach to life. And God calls us away from selfishness. And the world thinks that is utterly foolish. Because according to the ways of the world, the thought of the world, if you do that, people will just take advantage of you. And you know, the, the world's right. So the world says, you can't let people take advantage of yourself. You need to be strong. The way that you will, will endure in this life is to be the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, the quickest. And you can use all these strengths to be your benefit, to get you through and keep the bad people away and endure and endure and endure. And yet, what do we have here? The, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is that, that whole point that comes out with the cross. When we see the might, the glory of God shining most brightly and brilliantly, when, when you have the Son of Man must be glorified, he must be lifted up, it's not like a fight scene in, in some action movie where Jesus comes in and does like some massive kung fu throat punch, boot to the head type of thing. It's when he's at his weakest. The highlight of the Christian faith is the utter weakness of God. Why? He suffers and dies for our sake. That, that, if, you, if you think about the, the idea of we are supposed to show love to our neighbor even at the cost of, even at a cost to ourselves, there's no greater example or demonstration of that than Christ upon the cross. He is showing utter weakness. When you think about it, if you die of crucifixion, you're basically dying of weakness. 
There, there are, are ways of killing where it's like trauma. Like if I chop off your head, that's blunt trauma. But if you are crucified, basically you suffocate because you're too weak to keep standing up. Because what happened is your arms are hanging down and you become so weak and so tired that you can't even lift your chest, your, 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 your body up enough to breathe in. You, you are literally weakened to death. But this is part of the point. In our own lives, it's not about how strong we are, what we can do for ourselves, but rather we're, we're to give of ourselves to our neighbor. And sin would have us not do that. Sin would have us fight against the idea of, of showing any sort of weakness. In fact, let's face it, how, how often do we show weakness to one another? If asked, how often do you say, I'm fine, instead of saying, well, no, this is where I'm hurting? We're, we're trained socially not to do that, because if I tell you where I'm weak, you can use that against me. Over and against this, the theology of the cross is, no, God totally understands. You are a sinner in a sinful world, and you're going to be battered and bruised. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to do everything that you should do. And even though you try, you will always fail in this life. And so what does God do? He becomes man, and he serves for you. He becomes weak for you, weak to the point of death, where, where with his death upon the cross, the wages of sin, the, 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 the punishment, the death that we earned by, by our, our scrabbling fight to, to scratch and claw and work out things for ourselves, the wages of sin is death, all that gets taken up by Christ upon the cross. And so the point we have with the theology of the cross is you have Jesus Christ suffering and dying, being weak for our benefit, and that's the path to life everlasting. So then, what does this mean in terms of, of practicality? How does this plan out? Well, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll, we'll talk about just uh, how the theology of the cross uh, meets, uh, meets our daily life after the break. See you in a second. And welcome back to the Gospel Bowley Podcast, where we are talking all by ourselves today about the theology of the cross. And so we have had this, this point that the center point of theology, the, the center point of the Christian faith, is that Christ Jesus redeems us from sin, not by a demonstration of strength, which is really what gets us into our sin in the first place, but rather by his utter weakness, his sacrifice for, of himself upon the cross, which undoes our, our selfish sins of, of our selfish sin, our desire for strength, our desire for domination. When we talk about the theology of the cross, we mean to say that the reality of Christ's death and resurrection isn't just a side thought. That, that, okay, yes, we all know Jesus died for you, but now let's go talk about Christian living. No, no, it, you can't do that because the cross and this idea that, that the foolishness of God is wiser than our wisdom, the idea that, that, that the weakness of God is stronger than men shapes everything about how we view the entirety of our lives. That, that sermon you hear on Sunday isn't just a little 
15-minute snippet of your life that's disconnected from everything else. But rather, as a Christian, we are trained by God to see the entirety of our lives through the cross, through the lens of the cross. Uh, I like to say we we don't look at the world through rose-tinted glasses. We look at the world through blood-stained glasses, stained with the blood of Christ. And so what happens is this, this theology of the cross impacts how we, we see our neighbor, how we deal with our neighbor. Uh, for example, what we learn as theologians of the cross is let's say we come across someone who uh, is having rough straits. Say, say, uh, say you come across someone who really, really needs a lift to the airport. Now, if we look at this from the way of the world, if there are people who really need something, economically, we could look at this from views of uh, supply and demand. If, if they really need product X, and you've got it, and they really need it, that means you can charge them more because they really need it. They'll be willing to pay more. The world teaches us to look at things in terms of how can we work the situation to our advantage. When we see someone is in need, that means we can get more advantage if we can supply the need. That's the wisdom of the world. That is dealing from a position of strength. If you talk to folks who are in business, they'll say, oh, always try and negotiate from a position of strength. A theology of the cross has us see this situation differently. Rather than when, when we see someone who is in need, rather than seeing that as an opportunity to exercise our, our strength and pull advantage to ourselves, oh, you really need this, uh, well, then, then you're going to give me twice as much as what it would have been worth uh, last week. Rather, we see other people's needs as a time to serve. That when they are in most need, that is when we are called to give most freely. That's when we are to share in their weakness. Think about this. We, how often do we have talk about sharing in their sufferings? Oh, you really need this? Well, then I'll let you have some of mine, even if it means I have less, even if it means I suffer. Oh, you need to get, you need to do why? Well, okay, then I will do why too, and we will do why together. So, so the idea here is instead of seeing a, a chance to maximize your advantage, we see opportunities to serve. Instead of seeing an opportunity to negotiate from strength, we learn to share in weakness or, or weaken ourselves through giving to the person in need. And that's a completely backward approach in the world. Instead of wondering what good is it going to be for us, it's what good is it for them. And that is a, a, a cruciform way of seeing. How can I give of myself? How can I, I weaken my own position rather than make my position be stronger? Um, another way this, this shapes out is in terms of, of showing mercy versus judgment. One of the reasons why judging, why condemning is so popular in the world is it increases our own sense of moral authority. It, it, it makes us 
feel better because at least I'm not as bad as this other person. I'm doing better. I'm better than this. So therefore I am better. It becomes an elevation. It becomes a matter of, of treating the life, our life, as though it's a, a competition to prove who is best. And let's face it, as Christians, we can jump into that all the time. But seeing things through the, the lens of the cross makes us to remember that the point is not judgment. The point is not seeing who's best and who's worst, but rather to show mercy. If I see someone, they have flaws, they have problems. It's not that that is to be an opportunity for me to elevate myself above them, but rather that becomes an opportunity to show mercy. If I see someone who is having struggles socially, morally, mentally, that doesn't mean, oh, look how much better I am, but it means, okay, that's someone who can use love and support and and care and compassion. And this is really what, what God teaches. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I, I want you to show love and care to the neighbor rather than to say, oh, well, look, uh, I'm better than them. I, I am above them. I will, and, and I'll sacrifice. I'll give you a good bribe. I'll give you a good offering to keep me well above them, God, because I don't want to be down there. Well, no, you, you lower yourself. You, you, you go and meet your neighbor where they are at, and you show them care, you show them love, you show them mercy. Or, or this comes up even with the, the adage from the Lord's Prayer that we all know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Think about what, what it is to forgive. The, some translation will put it, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, which really does kind of hit the point of what forgiveness is. According to the way of the world, if someone does something to you, you have leverage against them forever and ever. Think, think about how often, how often relationships or, or friendships go bad because someone keeps leveraging. Well, remember what you did. We will use the, the sins that people have done as, as tools and weapons against them. That's the way of the world. But rather, looking through things through the, the theology of the cross, we are taught and trained and told that forgiveness is the way. That, that rather than taking that junk that they've done, that very serious harmful thing, and using that as a, a wedge against them to manipulate them for the future, we're, we're to forgive it. We're to, to let it go. We're to leave off. Uh, that, that word in, for forgive in the scriptures almost has that sense of, of, of let it go, of, of releasing it. Because while the world thinks that we should use everything to our advantage, Christ says, no, it's best to just forget about it, to to put it behind you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't hold this against them. Don't let this evil define everything that goes forward in the relationship. Rather, let's have our relationship be about love, even if you failed in the past, and even if you fail again tomorrow. No, we will be those who show love and serve one another, and that happens via forgiveness. Forgiveness is what enables and allows love to take place, because if there's no forgiveness, if it's just a, a constant tit-for-tat, it, it, if thou, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And in our own relationships with others, if we keep keeping a, a record of, of sins, we're, we're never going to stand. It's going to be that constant on guard, 
fight against one another. And so the theology of the cross is look at everything in terms of Christ's death and resurrection and see that there, that, that service and mercy and forgiveness is what predominates, is what defines and shapes how the world goes. Because this really is not just how you treat your neighbor, but rather the cross shows you how God treats you. Consider, when God sees that you are weak, when God sees that you are, are trapped in your sin, he doesn't use that as leverage against you. Oh, you, you've sinned. Well, you better be really, really good now. I, I'm going to make you jump through extra hoops to improve, uh, to, to, to come back to me or to, to get right with me or to have eternal life. You, you better do extra special good work. No, no, that's not, that's not how the cross solves things. Instead, Christ comes to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to seek and save the lost, to, to serve the lost. That's the way God deals with you. He comes to you to serve you. And he wants you to remember that at all times, that it's not about what you do for God, but rather what he does for you. And likewise, that spills out into your own life. Or consider, what does the cross teach about mercy or judgment? Well, Christ himself says, I will be judged in your place so that you may receive mercy. The point of the the cross is to show that God really does desire that you be mercied. He would rather see himself judged than see you judged. He would rather not receive mercy so that you receive mercy. And that's what he does to us and for us and through us through the cross, through the word that gives us life. The gospel is a giving of mercy and a taking away of judgment. Indeed, it's forgiveness. It's a, a no longer remembering your sins. Because of the cross, when God looks at you, he does not see a sinner. He sees Christ. He sees one covered in the blood of Christ. And really, in terms of of learning to approach this life that we're in, learning to approach our days on earth, is learning more and more to see our neighbor through the lens of the cross, learning to see our neighbor the same way that God sees us because of Christ. When you see your neighbor, are you looking at someone who has ticked you off and and deserves whatever's coming to them? Or do you see someone for whom Christ has died? Are you seeing someone who might do some good stuff for you if you can just figure out the way to manipulate them properly? Or are you seeing a fellow redeemed child of God? And the theology of the cross teaches us and focuses over and over again upon Christ so that in everything we see Christ and him crucified. When we see ourselves, we see one for whom Christ has died. When we see our neighbor, we see one for whom Christ has died. Everything centers around the idea of forgiveness. And because this forgiveness reigns, we learn to fight down our temptation for the power plays, for the the abuse, for the manipulation. And rather, no, what's left is just love, forgiveness, service, mercy, charity, the fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, kindness. These are all things that don't involve you changing someone else, but rather living for them, showing them love, being free to, to, to show them love without worrying what you're going to get back. Because you know what? God provides all for you. He has, he has died for you. He has risen for you. You have life in his name. You don't need to worry about getting stuff for yourself. 
You don't need what 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 why do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. Consider the lilies of the field, that whole stretch from the, the Sermon on the Mount. That's a cruciform way of looking at the life that you have, because it's a reminder that look, God is in control. He has suffered and died for you. He has risen for you. You have everything that you need from Christ. You don't need to get anything from your neighbor. You're in your neighbor's life to serve them. Now, conversely, your neighbor's also in your life to serve you. But that's not for you to think about. That, that's for them to think about. That, that, that's their ballywick. Your job is to love them. And when you see the times that you haven't, when, you, when, when your sin comes to the fore, as it often will, you're called to remember that Christ loves you and serves you perfectly and completely, without hesitation, without reservation. And so what happens is we get this, this new approach to life because of the cross, that we are, are free, we are bold to show love to our neighbor. And when we find that we aren't showing love, we don't run and hide from God because we are seen once again. We are shown once again his cross, his gospel, his love for us that reminds us that we are loved by God unconditionally. And so to, to just sum it up, what, what's the theology of the cross? While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that shapes the way we view everything in this life. So this week when you go about and live your life and you, you, you see hardship and pain, well, that, that's the cross. When you see other people suffering and hurting, well, that, that's the cross. Show them love. When you see other people sinning against you, well, that, that's something, too, on the cross. Christ took that up on the cross. When you see your own sin, Christ took that up on the cross. When you see your own suffering, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. When you see your own opportunities for, for power and success, turn away from them because I take up my cross and follow Christ. And when you see that there are times when you didn't take up your cross, remember that he is the one who indeed took up his cross for your sake. Everything revolves, everything flows around Christ Jesus, who has suffered and died for you, who has risen for you, and you are forgiven in him. And really, our worship, everything that goes on, is throwing us to the cross. Whether it's the invocation that, that points us to our baptized, baptism, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, do you not know that those of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, his cross? Whether it's the preaching, preaching Christ and him crucified, whether it's the supper, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. You receive the very body that was crucified for you, the blood that was poured out, whether it's the, 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 the dismissal, go now to part in peace. All of it, all of it, focusing you again upon the cross so that you will learn to see, even until we see it face to face, that Christ really is all in all for you. So, all right, that was my take on the theology of the cross. I'm sure others would do it better. Um, so whatever is lacking is taken up for me by Christ. So uh, be focused on him. Remember that you are loved, you are forgiven, you were redeemed by Christ the crucified. Rejoice and delight in him this week. See ya.